Welcome to The John Chapman Show, where we talk about the path of a wealthy millennial, uncovering the truth about building and protecting your nest egg. Join us on this journey as we hear the stories of millennials and mentors alike to help you plan, manage, and protect your wealth. John is an employee of WorthPoint LLC. All opinions expressed by John and podcast guests are solely their own opinion and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of WorthPoint. This podcast should not be relied upon for investment decisions and is for informational purposes only. Hey, Matt Perkins, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, John. Happy to be on. Matt, this is great. You know, we chatted a couple of weeks ago, and for the listeners out there, Matt is has a lot of experience in the sales world, and we're going to get to his sales philosophy and mindset and actually bring some practical tips for those of you out there. Granted, some of you may be in the sales role and you get trainings, but there's a lot of us who aren't in a traditional sales role, but still need to have a mindset of a seller, or at least take the appropriate mindset, because frankly, most of life has a component of sales. So there's so much fun content that we can get through today, Matt. Before we go crazy on all of it, let me just go backwards in time. Tell us a little bit about your background. Where did you grow up and what was life like growing up? Yeah, so I uh, I grew up in a place called Tri-Cities in southeastern Washington. You know, I, I think most people, if you don't live in Washington, probably have never heard of the place. But it is like, it's an extremely middle-class community. Uh, our sort of claim to fame is that we've got the, the first, the world's first nuclear reactor about 20 minutes outside of where I grew up. <laughs> uh, the B reactor. I don't know what happened to the A reactor. We don't talk about that. But, we don't talk um, about that. That's funny. That's your claim. Yeah, we, don't, we don't talk about that one. And, and I'm curious too, we've talked before, like when was your first encounter with the idea of sales? Yeah. So when I was about right around the age of, of seven or eight years old, there was a, there was a water park called Oasis Waterworks in my town. And I'm sure it was summertime. So I'm sure it was like in the nineties that day. And uh, my, uh, one of my buddies, had phoned the house uh, and wanted to know if I wanted to go to the water park. And my mom was like, no, I don't have any money to give you for it. And so (laughs) I was like, shoot, I was like, what can I do? And uh, what I ended up doing was I had this pair of roller skates um, that I outgrew. I was no longer using them. And so I took that pair of roller skates to a couple different houses and tried to sell them for $12, which was the price of a ticket. Uh, to go to Oasis Waterworks. Perfect. Um, and uh, I ended up selling them to uh, the neighbor girl, Sarah Anderson. And the best part of that story, you know, probably at that point, the best part of the story was getting the $12 so I could go to the to the water park. Sure. But, you know, looking back on it, you know, Sarah used those skates for two years. And then she gave those skates to her sister, Jessica, who also used those for two years. And... I found out about this when I was probably 16, 17, when I went over to their house. We, it was a family we stayed in touch with. And the way that they talked about those skates was kind of special. Like the, both the kids loved them. So the parents would like buy them new skates for Christmas, but they would just always use the ones that I had sold them. And I was like, wow, I'm so glad that you guys got so much value out of that. That is um, so awesome. And how yeah, old were so you that was the very that first time. happened? I was probably somewhere in the ballpark of seven or eight years old. 
I love that too, because initially it was your issue and your need, but it ended up turning into something where you were solving a problem for her, which, you know, just gets back to this philosophy of sales, which I want to dive into in a second. So that's kind of a neat story to think back on. When did you first realize that all of this happened? Maybe in the moment, you might not have thought of it as a literal sales experience. So how old were you when you first realized that this was a a key moment in your early childhood? Probably when probably when I got to college and had sort of decided that selling was what I wanted to do. And, you know, you know, as with anything, when you're sort of deciding your path, like, I don't know, for me, like I was looking for evidence to why, like maybe this might be the right path. And I was, I was looking at instances of my past and I, I remember that occurrence. I remember other times uh, growing up when I would sell, wrapping paper and stuff like that during Christmas time. Selling um, wrapping paper? That, yeah, <laughs> don't you, wrapping don't you paper. you go to the store for something like that? No, the, the school would like hand us out these little books and they'd say, go sell all this stuff. And it was kind of like a fundraising sort of exercise. And I think it, for most people, it was meant to probably take it around to your grandma and your aunt, your uncles and whatever. And they just buy all this junk from you because that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to be nice to your, your little nephew that is trying to hawk some wrapping paper. And, uh, but I ended up taking this thing door to door in my neighborhood. What? Because the, the top door to door. Yeah. Cause the top prize was a cell phone oh, and, um, Oh snap. That's an that, incentive. I know. Right. And at that point in time, my parents were like, yeah, we're not getting you a cell phone. So I saw that and I was like, I'm getting a cell phone. And, <laughs> I went out and I sold enough to get that cell phone. Funny no story. It ended up not working at oh, all. No, and, uh, get out. God bless my parents. They saw how hard I worked to get that cell phone. And they went out and they actually, they got me one. Mm. A Virgin mobile flip phone. It was Sir. amazing. Wow. The good old days. That's awesome. The flip phone. Wow. That's actually another, we hadn't chatted about that story, but I love that. And so you were, you were introspective at some point in your life about all of your sales experience. I guess fast forward a little bit and take us up to college. Cause I, I understand that in college you had some interesting sales experience too. So what type of jobs did you have when you were at the university of Washington? Yeah. So when I was at UW, I, uh, so I had a couple of different sort of sales jobs. The, uh, I'm not going to talk about all of them, but one summer I sold above ground pools at a palace pool and patio in Kennewick, Washington, which was interesting. And then, uh, another summer, uh, I actually strangely enough went and worked for Philip Morris and sold cigarettes to various retailers. Um, very wholesome. Good for you. I know, but I didn't stick that one out, but, uh, Probably the most like impactful selling experience that I had uh, in college was when I worked at a place called Quality Selling and Vacuum. And uh, a vacuum salesman. Inter- a vacuum salesman. So it's funny. I usually, when I tell that story, people say, "Oh, like door to door," and I'm like, "Oh, thank God, no." Uh, you know, we had a storefront, and um, when I had started, my job was essentially a, I was a vacuum repairman. People would bring in the vacuums, I would fix them up, and that was my job. And and then one day the manager was like, you can sell the stuff on the floor if you want to. And, hmm. uh, you know, we, we do pay commission. And I was like, oh, really? 
commission. Now we're talking. And I was like, oh, that's, yeah, that's interesting. And I worked with a couple of uh, friends from the fraternity there, and uh, they kind of told me about some of the money that they had been making by selling the vacuum cleaners. And so I just totally dived into it. And, and these things weren't like your standard Hoovers either. These things were, they were like, some of them were 1200 bucks. They were German engineered, German made Mila vacuum cleaners, totally high end, probably a bit more than anyone needs, but they were good machines and they lasted a long time. Um, so that's awesome. The German vacuum machine. That's like the, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the, 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 uh, the German car, but for vacuums. Exactly. I mean, it was sleek. It was quiet. It was, I mean, I love it. I have one in my house today. Um, that's how much I, I sort of believe in the machine. Yeah. Um, that's ridiculous. That's awesome. But, yeah. But the, the funny thing is, is, you know, I think, uh, in the sales world today, uh, and this became really evident as I started getting into selling for selling more expensive things like software or advertising, uh, or data or consulting things like that. You know, there's this notion of the, the consultative sale. Okay. Tell and us about that. So the, the consultative sale is, so there's, there's people would break it up into two parts. They'd say you've got a transactional sale and they'd say you've got a consultative sale. And the, the transactional sale being, um, you know, I'm hungry. I want to buy an apple. Someone sells them an apple. There's not a lot of guidance or consulting on what they should buy prior to their purchase. But the consultative Depth. You know, the people that you're speaking with, they might not necessarily know exactly what they're looking for. They might not even have a really good understanding of what their needs are. And so it's your job to, to talk through their needs and, and understand who they are and where they're coming from and what their problems are. And you consult with them on an option or a couple options to, 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 to solve that problem. And so I think that's, that's an important thing that I have to pause on because I find that for especially those that uh, either aren't in sales or haven't been trained in it, this is an easy place to initially get hung up on because we might have been, we might have, as consumers, we've experienced the transactional sale. And if it's done at its worst, it becomes really memorable in a bad way. And so when people then take on the job of being in a sales role, they can't wrap their heads around what's the philosophy. So just, you know, at the very get go, what is, what is the mindset of somebody that's in a more consultative uh, sales position? You know, how, how do they, how do you have to train yourself to think when you're in that position? So it's, it's actually really simple. It's, it's really, really simple. And it's, it's just, you need to be in service of others and you need to think about what's best for the person that you're speaking with. The best companies in the world are customer centric truly customer centric. There's a lot of organizations out there that say they are, but I would argue against that. But when you look at the most successful companies in the world, Amazon, there's a, there's an interview, Jeff Bezos, probably 10 years ago on like 60 minutes, something like that. And, um, he just talked the entire time about putting the customer first. And the interviewer would say, well, isn't that, sort of running counter to your shareholders. And he's like, well, the shareholders should want to put the customer first because that's how we're going to be the most successful. And 
and you can you can see that from place i mean trader joe's the same way like i feel so great whenever i go into that kind of a store and it's because my experience and the way that they treat me and put me first makes me come back over and over and over again and um that's really the mindset that you got to have if you you want to be successful yeah, I'm familiar with the YouTube video or that recording of Bezos, uh, whenever it was way back in early 2000s or late 90s or something of that nature. And it was as if the in, the interviewer just couldn't wrap his head around this this remarkable idea that Bezos was talking about was simply, we're just focused on serving the the customer in the absolute best way possible. And it uh, see, seems as if that, that worked out well, right? I think it, I think it has. And I think it's I think it's challenging, especially for for young sellers or even sellers who are in the midst of their career, because as a salesperson, a lot of the influences around us are not necessarily customer centric. Like, for example, uh, you look, take a look at salespeople in popular culture and you have movies like Glenn Gary Glenn Ross or The Wolf of Wall Street and you know, I've had sales managers like at the end of the month send out clips from those types of movies. And it's like, nobody wants to buy from those people. That's not something to be proud of because you're not putting them first. Like these, you know, these people aren't food that you're hunting down. These people that you're trying to help. And so really, go ahead. No, I think that uh, that 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 unfortunately is what continues to sort of damage or tarnish uh, a, a factor inside the industry, and um, it's it's I, I, odd. It seems that that just is going to continue to persist. Maybe it's a per- certain personality type, but you know, I have something that I actually read recently is, and, and I think you know, from my financial planning cap, we're a consumer-based economy. Our GDP comprises of almost seventy percent of consumer spending and maybe thirty percent of government spending. So more than two thirds of our economy is based on people liking to buy. And so I read a funny line, which is people like to buy, but they hate to be sold to. And so a silly thing for people in a sales position, you know, human nature, at least in America today, is that people enjoy some thrill of buying it. It it gives them some type of a reward. But if you're coming at it from a sales Wolf of Wall Street mindset, somehow you can get get in the way of the thing that you actually want to do and you can turn people off which I find really kind of silly and ironic. But I want to ask too, again, thinking of somebody who might not specifically be in a sales role or maybe even people that are but have bad managers, now that you take the philosophy of just simply service and helping somebody else, what are some of the other things that they need to be thinking about? Where, where's our next step? We've got a philosophy. What are some of our action steps to go forward in that way? Yeah, absolutely. So I've got about three or four sort of sales tactics that, that I, I deploy uh, when I sell. And I think they're going to be a lot different than, than what most people think from a sales tactic. My sales tactics have nothing to do with negotiations or applying discounts or overcoming objections, et cetera. Now, those, all of those things are really important, but truly the foundation of sales is the ability to listen. I mean, my gosh, like, I think we can all listen. I think we live in a better world if we all listen more and talk less. I mean, a wise man once said, God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason. Amen. Yeah, Um, that's great. (laughs) You know, and so listening is really important. And then the other thing is empathy. And I think this is one thing that a lot of people 
get a little bit confused on and they get a little mixed up on. And when I was kind of coming up, people would talk to me about empathy in a way that it was, you need to, you need to understand, you need to empathize with the customer's pain. And I think that's totally, I think that's true in a way, but it's really hard to get really in the mind of that, that customer and, and think about like how, I don't know, their problem affects them every single day, but you can't have an understanding of, of that and understand what the solution of that is. But in my opinion, empathy, the way that it should be applied is it should be applied in saying like, you need to recognize the hesitancies of making a big purchase. Mm-hmm. You know, when, you, when I'm buying an Apple, I'm not scared. When I'm buying a $1,200 vacuum cleaner, I've got some doubt. <laughs> you know, like, I'm like, do I really? And the bags are how much? And, yeah. that, and there's a bag? It's like, I've got some doubt. And, you know, and so you, empathy is really being able to empathize with, with how they might feel throughout that sales process and sort of help them get past some of the mental barriers that they're faced with. And you know what? That's an important distinction. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. And some, and some of those mental barriers they can overcome and, and some, and some, they just can't. And, uh, you know, you got to live with that as well. But yeah. so you're empathizing not with huge. the fact that, um, their carpet has cat hair in it. That's the pain that they're feeling. But what you're empathizing yeah. with is just the, the, um, <clears throat> potential weight of that purchasing decision. I mean, it's expensive. Is it going to work? Is it going to break? Am I getting scammed? You're empathizing with those concerns. Right. Am I hearing that right? Right. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's like it, we've all had family members or, you know, people pass away in our life and it's like, you've seen that classic movie line where it's like, I totally understand how you feel. And then the person's like, you don't know how I feel. Exactly. Because you're, you're, you, you, you don't, but what you can empathize with is what it might feel like to have that sort of tragic loss in your life and, or something like that. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, so yeah. How do you learn? So going back to one of the first things, so you talked about listening, empathy. Was there a third before I, I get too caught up? Cause I want to talk about listening. So what, what's another idea there, that's part of your philosophy? There's actually two more. And, um, the third one is, uh, obviously it's, it leans more towards the consultative sale and that is expertise. So if you think about the word consultative root word consult sort of implies that you have some expertise as, to why you're telling somebody to do something or giving them advice on a certain thing. Okay. Right. Um, one of the things I've come across in my career is sort of a, there's, there's less sort of effort put into becoming an expert on your customer and becoming an expert in the solution that you sell and relying more on some of these like classic sales tactics that you hear a little bit overcoming objections, things like that. It's like, no, the, the best way to, to be able to sell something is to understand and become an expert in the problems that your customers face and to become an expert in every single way on exactly how your solution solved that problem. That's like, that is one of the, I mean, I think all of these are equally as important, but with expertise also comes a ton of confidence. You're not going, oh, well, uh, you know, well, it could be, you know, you're not using that sort of like passive language. You're using really strong language because you know them so well and you know your solution so well that you can expertly say, hey, this, this is the fix. And if you, and if you don't fix it, this, will, this is what could happen. Mm, and then it just awesome. becomes matter of fact. Yeah, that's a great point. And it's on, 
it's on them to decide after that. And then the mm. last one is just authenticity. Okay. For all of us who've ever gotten a cold call or have ever gotten an email uh, from a sales rep, they all sound the same. Hope your day is well. How's it going? It's like, you know, that that's just like a clue for me to just completely turn off. But when I get somebody who sort of disrupts that pattern a little bit and they're just like this great mix of their authentic self, I'm like, oh, I'm kind of attracted to this person. Like, I, you know, I'm going to talk to him. So be yourself. If People I, love you. Somehow that seems so hard to do. Like I feel uncomfortable. I'm putting on the hat again of somebody that's uh, trying to be in a sales position and maybe they're not well-versed and trained in this. Why is it so hard for us to just be ourselves? If, if we're ourselves normally during the day, but all of a sudden you pick up the phone, you're engaged somebody at the counter, then all of a sudden that goes out the window. I wonder what's, uh, what's going on there. You know, it's a, I think it's a hard question to answer, but I think it, it must be some sort of, deep rooted thing in human psychology where there's safety and conformity. And, uh, and so I don't know, you know, the, the thing is, is that you just have to, you have to recognize that and you just have to have a little courage. And, and the more you do it, the, the more confidence that you actually get. And, and that's, there's a lot of science and studies that suggest that as well. The more you can be authentic and be courageous, the, just the easier it becomes. Yeah, so, so the four things to, to summarize are they're, they're listening, empathy, becoming an expert in your, your customer and your product, uh, and then lastly, just being authentic. It's really good. I think that's helpful takeaways for a lot of the listeners. Something else you and I have chatted about in a previous conversation is the idea of problem aware, solution aware, and you aware. Can you give us some background on that silly phrase? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And, and what really that speaks to is sort of the, the modernization of buying. Um, the game has fundamentally changed. Gone are the days when the salesperson has all the information. Gone are the days when, you know, only a few households had DSL or something like that um, or businesses. And, and so buyers, they're, they're doing things differently now. Uh, they're, they're researching well before they talk to a salesperson, they have more information uh, and they're just, they're just more empowered. And so when I talk about problem aware, solution aware, and you aware, what I'm kind of alluding to is the buyer's journey. And the thing I love about this, John, is that, you know, I think the most frustration comes from sort of missed expectations mm. in sales. You're right. And, uh, and the thing that I love about the buyer's journey and knowing that it's going to be really difficult for me to pick up the phone and call somebody out of the blue and get them to sign a contract by the end of that conversation, it makes me feel good to know that, uh, you know, buyers have a process and these, these things don't happen overnight. And I don't have to have immediate success because that's just not a lot of pressure on myself to, you know, have that sort of like silver tongue to convince them or whatever you know, my job is to, to guide them and provide them with some information um, and, and ultimately, you know, lead that horse to water, uh, so to speak. And so, yeah, how do you assess where their problem? <laughs> how do you assess yeah, where they are on that continuum or what are some ways to gather intel if you're in a sales uh, role of uh, where they might be 
because again, the salesperson might be under some type of heat or pressure from maybe a manager or a quota fix, but, um, but the buyer's right. might be on some crazy different path. So how do we, how do we uh, discern where they are? Yeah. It, the thing is, is that it's a little bit different for every business, you know, and it, there's a lot of factors that sort of change the timeline that change the phases that you go through. And this is really, it all goes back to, uh, you know, one of the, one of the four tactics that I use and that's just expertise. And the more, the more experience that you get in the industry, uh, that you work in and the people that you serve, um, the easier it will be for you to spot exactly where that person is, uh, along that buyer's journey. I think that's a great. So point. there's there's really there's no straight answer to it. Um, it's just kind of a learning thing. It, yeah, I, I've I've read a lot about this. There's the new paradigm of how selling has shifted so much due to technology, and that the buyer's journey might they might ex- experience. 60 to 90% of buying uh, without you, you as the salesperson. And so they're doing this on their own through just research or looking at reviews, or maybe there's just simply waiting there. There's a problem, but they, they don't have any type of solution awareness until they talk to a friend or something like that. And so I guess along the way, what are some of the other implications? So as a salesperson, are there ways to help facilitate or draw people through this but this, this, this paradigm shift journey for our buyers? Yeah, um, I think there is. And it's, it's, it's patience. Longer the days where people are making decisions based off of, of you, the seller, they're making decisions based on, on what they want to do and what they feel. And you need to be patient and you need to be of service to them. Um, and the more service and the greater the experience that you could provide them, the faster that they're going to be able to move through that process because it becomes frictionless Mm, because they don't, there's no tension in connecting with that salesperson if they're always of service, you know? Good. Totally. Yeah. And it just makes me think as soon as you get over yourself as a salesperson is in the, the minute that you drop, you know, just any, any motivation of yourself and you expect nothing of that conversation and you then turn, start to being like listening mindset and empathetic and then a service mindset. It seems as if everything's different and uh, there's so much less friction in a conversation because the expectations are different. Oh yeah. And you know, what's really funny. If you go talk to salespeople, career salespeople, um, especially around my age who have uh, hopped around a couple of different SaaS companies or something like that, I guarantee that 90% of them will tell you that, right? So they'll, so a lot of people, you know, they decide I'm not going to work here anymore. Okay. And then usually that, that they, they don't quit that day. Usually they start going out and interviewing and hire, you know, and, and looking at other options, et cetera. And, um, you know, in most organizations, whatever you sell at the end of your tenure, you do not get paid on mm-hmm. from a commission standpoint. And so what's really interesting is that every time that I have decided to leave an organization and I don't really care about my quota anymore because I'm not getting paid on it anyways, I turn into a selling machine. <laughs> You're the sales monster. I, I, yeah, I'm the sales monster because I don't, I'm totally dissociated from the outcome. Wow. And, um, it's, it's just, it's amazing. And, that, and I, I'm telling you, you talk to 90% of those guys and gals, they'll tell you the same thing. 
It's yeah, a weird phenomenon. That is a phenomenon. I think we have to to maybe rip that apart in another conversation. And uh, we've got to wrap up here in just a couple of minutes. But again, thinking for those listening, maybe they're in a sales job and they're reorienting themselves, or maybe they're still in a in a marketing or a C C suite level job, but not specifically in sales. Any one or two last takeaways that we should be thinking about? You know, I think one of the biggest things is like, you know, especially if you're in a sales role or thinking about moving to a sales role or anything like that, I just, I challenge you to be authentic. I challenge you to be bold. And I challenge you to, to, to really just treat everybody that you speak with uh, as if they are a friend or a family member. Treat every sale like you're just recommending a couple of places that your friend go to take his wife out for, for their anniversary. Mm, that's great. Um, and, and don't just don't put too much pressure on yourself because that's when things get a little squirrely is when <laughs> you got a lot of pressure, uh, either that you put on yourself or others put on you and it just, it makes things a lot more difficult. So, so give yourself a break, be yourself and treat others with kindness. Man, I love it. It'd be we need uh, more of that. We need more of that, Matt. So fun to talk about this. I really appreciate your insight and expertise and uh, look forward to chatting with you again soon. Yeah, absolutely, John. Appreciate you having me on. All right, thanks. Thanks for tuning in to The John Chapman Show. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. We encourage your questions, comments, and feedback. For additional information, check out thejohnchapmanshow.com or look for John on LinkedIn and Twitter. See you next week.